Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Let's give a warm Weston welcome to Trevor Gingrich. He is the pastor at the Embassy Humber. Come on up. Thanks, Miguel. Good morning, church. It's really, really good to be back here at Weston Road. Um, actually, I was here just a few months ago catching up with Pastor John, and he gave me the whole tour, uh, looking at all the renovations. It looks amazing, so impressed with it. Um, but it's really nice to, be, to have an opportunity to come and, and share and connect with the rest of the church, too. So I'm really, really happy to be here. Uh, I'm actually here solo this morning. I had to leave my wife, Becky, and our two boys uh, behind this morning. But it occurred to me that some of you probably haven't even met the rest of the family. And so I decided to take... Just this cheesy photo just recently. My wife loves when I do this. Becky, pose! And so she posed. And at dinner, which was a bad choice. So the five-year-old boy uh, on the left, our firstborn, um, you'd like him. His name is Weston. That's right. Yeah, we named him after you. And so, uh, actually, I don't, I don't remember what inspired his name exactly, but we'll, let's, we'll go with that. And uh, we also have a two-year-old. He's the one on the right with his right foot all over his face and right foot up on the table, which is classic. Um, I remember my mom always getting on me for putting my elbows on the table, right? But this is, like, what do you do with this? I don't even know what to do. So anyway, that's, that's the battle we're having lately. And we're also looking forward to kind of the, the whole afternoon nap stage being over with so they can accompany me a little bit more often on mornings like this. So they say hello. Um, anyway, to start off here, and in case you're not familiar uh, with what we do, here's a little about the kind of ministry that we're involved in, just very briefly. Um, so I pastor a campus ministry at Humber College, which is located just about 15 minutes from here at Finch and Highway 27. You just ride Finch. Some kind of campus ministry at some school. Story short, in my 20s, I felt led to plant uh, some kind of campus ministry at some school somewhere. And I chose Humber partly because I found out that there was very, very little going on in terms of ministry at this school before we arrived. And that was surprising to me because Humber is a, is a massive institution, a very large place. And so the need for a Christian voice on campus, some representation at this place, in my mind, was huge. And so in 2008, the work began to build a campus church, we call it. Uh, we call it the embassy. And so, and since the beginning, I guess, and aside from what else we do at Humber, uh, we've held these regular uh, open-air sort of public services on campus for both believers and non-believers alike. This is, this is one of my very favorite things about this. So uh, on any given Monday night service, uh, it's normal to have students looking in and listening in from the sidelines as we sing and as we pray and as we, as we learn about the Christian faith and call people toward a relationship with Jesus. So by God's grace, and as, as liberal and secular an institution as Humber tends to be, um, we are freely given this space and so these weekly opportunities to talk about Jesus and, and share the gospel in a very public way. It's very cool. And so, yeah. It's a really cool thing. Um, we also run a, a small groups program on campus, uh, giveaways, outreaches, um, baptisms sometimes, which are also pretty exciting. Next slide, as, you'll, as you can probably tell from the picture. And so uh, a lot of energy also just goes into discipling our student leaders and eventually releasing, releasing them back into the local church. There's just a lot of facets about ministry at Humber that we really love. And, uh, and time flies. We've been at this for, well, you know, uh, about 11 years already. But the truth is, church, like, as time 
goes on, our passion for what we do only grows. And so, actually, I'm asked sometimes how we've managed to keep this thing going for so long. And so, if you're curious about the model, about kind of how this works, uh, here's how, by God's grace, it, it, it works. Uh, in truth, the embassy wouldn't exist without a network of families and local churches and individual donors as well, um, who all give to keep this thing going, who have partnered with us to reach this school, because uh, we don't. Actually, we're not allowed to take up offerings from our students. That would be against school policy. Um, so just like an overseas missionary, I'm responsible to raise 100% of all the funding required to keep this crazy thing going year after year. Challenging work, of course, always. Um, but on the upside, you know, it's also given us all kinds of opportunity to practice what it means to trust God for what's ahead. And, and not just for the finances, but for everything we've needed, everything. Um, which is actually where we're headed this morning. In fact, so on that note, and switching gears now, and just speaking freely uh, for just a minute, you can head to the title slide there, Ben, if you don't mind. Um, uh, I wanted to let you in on a little secret, if I could, for just a second, just kind of speak freely a little bit. Uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to tell you about sort of the tension that kind of is involved with being sort of a, a missionary, us missionary types, okay? So uh, you see, part of my work, too, is, is traveling around and showing off these pictures like this to local churches, right, and sharing all the, all the good news and the good reports and helping people celebrate what God has done uh, on campus, which is something, believe me, I have no problem doing at all. But that's often the focus, right? That's often the, the emphasis, right? It's kind of like the, it's the highlight reel. It's all the, the positive, good-looking stuff. It's the, it's the Instagram feed, if you know what I'm talking about. And so, but what we don't always have a chance to share or have time to share is about uh, some of the less exciting stuff, like some of the challenges and, and issues that don't always make the, uh, the highlight real, you know, because we've had, by God's grace, you know, even though we've had all kinds of victories at Humber, the truth is, of course, it took a lot, it took a lot of hard work to get here. In fact, um, because I'm among friends this morning, we, we've been in partnership for a long time, like since 2010, I believe, and so I know some of you well, and, and I thought I'd speak uh, just a little more candidly, maybe personally, than I sometimes do, if that's okay, about some of what it took and, and what I've learned along the way about myself and my own limitations, which are various, and about God and about who he is and about how faithful he can be. And so for the time I have left, I just wanted to focus in on a topic that I think we can all relate to uh, if you're here and you're human, which is probably most of you this morning. But this is a, it's a pretty prevalent issue. It's a very common struggle involving a certain kind, a specific type of fear. Okay, so now before we focus in on, on this, 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 this one specific type of you know, scary. Um, let's have some fun with this first, okay? I figured we could take a minute to acknowledge uh, maybe some of the other types of fear that may or may not exist in the room because different people fear different things, right? And so, so for some examples, um, for a few other quite common fears, other than the one I'm, I'm going to get to, and you might recognize some of these, uh, and, and let's see if you do. And by the way, this is the, this is the interactive portion of the sermon, so I want you to, if you know the answer, I want you to yell it out, okay? You can do this. So first, first one up there is called, here we go, acrophobia. Is anyone know what that is? No Googling. No Googling. No, not all close. Acrophobia. It sounds like that. Acrophobia is a fear of heights. It's a fear of heights. Yeah. Um, something I was thinking this morning, something I wish our two-year-old had a little bit more of. He's constantly climbing things and falling down things, and it's just he never learns. Um, actually, some of you have probably had this fear of heights thing like all your life, but you didn't know the term for it. Well, you are, in fact, acrophobic. You've just been diagnosed. You're welcome. And 
And we're not done either. So uh, another very common fear is called, this is an easy one, uh, arachnophobia. What's that again? What? Yeah, that's the spider, right? Arachnophobia is fear of spiders, which is very possibly every woman in this room and me. So uh, I didn't even know I was arachnophobic until um, I saw my first dock spider. I'm not sure if any of you guys have seen a dock spider. They're, they're, you find them up north. So I was on this camping trip with my friends and just minding my own business. And this massive spider, looked like the size of my hand, appeared on the rock next to me, which was embarrassing for me because uh, even though I'm told I have a lower voice, let me tell you, I, I scream just like a girl. And so... Acrophobia, arachnophobia, people sometimes talk about feeling claustrophobic, right? Um, all fairly common. These are not unusual types of fear. But then there's, then there's the weirder stuff. So for a couple more, and these are real conditions, believe it or not. You can look, you can look them up. But ecclesiophobia, and some of the students at Humber deal with these ones. Ecclesiophobia is fear of the church. Now, it seems that none of you deal with this because you're here Good for you, but, uh, you know, homilophobia is a fear of sermons. It's a fear of being preached to. Um, so if when I got up on stage, you had to fight the urge to run away, I get it. It's cool. And we're, let's be friends. Uh, anyway, so a couple of these sound pretty strange, right? Partly, even if they are real conditions. Partly because they're so rare, um, but uh, not the one we're talking about this morning. Not so rare at all. In fact, all of us do experience this kind of thing from time to time, this one. And when you're dealing with it in the moment... It sure doesn't feel like a laughing matter. Uh, I'm talking about fear of the future. And those of us who struggle with this one, especially in a more serious or in a more chronic way, the diagnosis usually has something to do, it usually mentions the word anxiety. And it's very, very common these days. In fact, it's something that um, I have some firsthand experience with myself. Uh, actually, a friend of mine posted this article a while ago about what's sometimes referred to as the growing anxiety epidemic, right? And it's interesting reading, and we know it's the most common form of mental, mental, mental illness in Canada. It affects a lot of people, and it's all about feeling excessively paranoid or fearful about the future. And like I said, I've been there. Uh, in fact, as one of those people who, who, who has struggled with anxiety in a more chronic way, unfortunately, I warned you this was going to be personal this morning, uh, at certain points in my own journey, man, I've lived there. But again, like, whoever you are, however you're wired, all of us experience at least bouts of this kind of thing from time to time, I think, where, like, times where we're just anxious about, you know, where we're headed and how in the world we're going to get there, um, especially when we're facing some kind of major decision or crisis or challenge that seems like insurmountable, you know? You see, part of what can make the future so anxiety-inducing is that it's not really knowable, right? Like, to us mortals, anyway, it just isn't. So there's no way of really knowing for sure what's coming down the pike. And even if you try to your best to kind of hedge your bets and, and try to set yourself up for a bright future, I mean, that's great. But many people, and many wiser people, like more forward-thinking people than me, like healthier, wealthier, savvier people than on average as well, like many people have found out that, and I, I think Scripture would warn us about this as well, that like, look, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Very little in life actually is. And so, including, you know, of course, the stuff that we tend to look to uh, and count on for our sense of security, be it our jobs or our, our, our health, our investments, if you've got them, or, you know, whatever. None of that stuff is bulletproof, and people find that out the hard way all the time. Now, as for God, who is 
by definition, right, timeless and eternal. He's outside of space and time. Well, I believe he knows the future. The problem is I don't, and he won't tell me. He won't give it up, and that's kind of frustrating at times because I'm a planner. I'm a bit of a, I'm kind of type A. I'm sort of, my ducks in a row. I'd like some specifics, some timelines, flowcharts, whatever he wants to float me, I'll take it, right? But he just, he won't give it up, and so I'm forced to live in the dark to some extent, to a large extent, about what tomorrow may hold, which leads to kind of the next natural question in my mind, and this is the one I want to wrestle with, like, how does he expect me to live, How does he expect you to live? Like, where are you and I supposed to derive our confidence from about what's ahead as we go about our lives in general, dealing with the unknowns, including what hardship might just be coming around the bend? Well, there's there's a very simple, very practical thing, I believe, that Scripture encourages God's people to do when we're faced with anxiety about the future. Um, it's very simple. Actually, the Bible has a lot of good to say about dealing with stress and anxiety and mental health. But I'll, I'll focus on just um, one thing in particular, just one thing. It's a simple, a very practical discipline that I've been able to draw some unusual courage and confidence from myself. Um, so we all have favorite Bible characters, right? Uh, like uh, Bible characters, people in the Bible that we, we relate to especially. So for me, one, one of the characters I relate to most is uh, Moses, but not for the reasons that you might think. So like when you think of Moses, you might, you might be thinking about the guy, the picture that comes to your mind might be of the guy as the story goes with his arms outstretched, right? In front of the Red Sea, it's parted in front of him. This is Moses the hero. You may picture Moses the hero, but when I think of Moses, the first picture that comes to my mind is I picture the scene when he's in front of this burning bush. This is Exodus 2 and 3. And, and God has just given him this crazy-sounding mission, and he looks terrified. And the mission God gives him was to confront this powerful ruler, Pharaoh, and, so, and somehow convince him to let his entire slave force, like this is an entire people group, go. And Moses is not up for it. He is clearly insecure. He feels intimidated. He is fearful. And so the conversation goes back and forth a little bit between God and Moses. You can read it for yourself, and please do. Um, But Moses tries his best to convince God that, look, you've got the wrong guy. And so he starts in by playing um, what if with God, which I'm good at that too. So he tries to remind God of the risks associated here that God may not have realized, which is nice of him. And so, like, like for example, what, what, if, what if the people don't listen to me, or to you, for that matter? Um, but that doesn't work. God doesn't change his mind. Uh, so then he switches to excuse mode. I'm, I'm good at this too. So he starts into kind of his personal limitations and, and insecurities. Like, look, God, I can't speak. I'm not, I'm not eloquent enough. I can't lead these people I'm sure he's thinking to himself, like, no, no Egyptian ruler is going to find me altogether too convincing either, right? So he just, but that doesn't work either. And God does not relent. And so eventually, he just gives up. So toward the end, it's just a flat-out refusal. Moses says to God, I can't do it. Send someone else, he says. And look, some hero character this Moses guy is, right? Like, like fearful, insecure, reluctant leader that he is. And yet, I am so, so glad this story is included in the Bible. I'm so glad. And here's why. Um, I am no Moses, obviously, but, you know, reading this over, I can relate a little bit to his psychology. 
uh, especially if and when I've sensed that God might be calling me out of my comfort zone to do something that is like in any way risky. Um, so I'll share one story with you. I wanted to try to frame this topic through my own story this morning, my own experience. And actually, it has to do with how we got started at Humber. So uh, early into my work uh, in the church, I got this email totally out of the blue from a pastor friend of mine. His name's Brandon, uh, offering me a chance to take this internship with him, right? And at this incredibly successful, this huge uh, campus church that he had planted uh, years ago at the University of Waterloo. And it was an unpaid internship, of course. It was just for the experience, the big idea being so that I could go and plant some other ministry at some other school some other time. Um, You see, Brandon already knew I I was a huge fan of campus ministry. Like, I really believed in it. Uh, In fact, I was a youth pastor before this. But eventually, Small Rabbit Trail, I came across a set of studies and statistics about just how many of our own Christian young adults um, often struggle in their faith and leave the church for good during their years uh, or after they head off to post-secondary. And so, so like I said, I mean, I believed in campus ministry, like, as strongly as anything. The problem was, I just, it just wasn't something that I thought I was ever cut out for. And so, uh, so this is how this conversation went, um, off and on for a couple of months, just him and I going back and forth over email. He was patient like this. But Brandon, um, he sent me an email. He's always encouraging me to just step out, just step out, trust God, right? And, and trust God with the details. Me responding with another list of reasons as to why I could never do this, man. So, like, because I had lots, and they were good. So I had these huge student loans at the time. So going without a paycheck at that point in my life, probably not a wise idea. Um, besides, campus ministry has this reputation sometimes of being a, a kind of a difficult, kind of a volatile thing. And I knew that many campus ministries don't survive long-term for all kinds of reasons. Um, and even if I could you know, against all the odds, get something established, it would still be a ministry full of students who live off of craft dinner during the week. Like, there's no, there's no money there. Like, they can't help support this thing, and I knew that. Um, also, so I, I had talked to some missionary friends and people who fundraised for a living, and that didn't seem, that was a difficult road. And, and on and on I went, on and on. I had, I had so many reasons. Too many unknowns, too many risks. Yeah, I appreciate the offer, Brandon, but like, pioneering something from scratch not really my jam. But he knew, I think, and I knew, I I was just kind of letting my fear get the better of me. And I I couldn't shake the feeling that this was something that I sensed God would have me do. And so I did something completely out of character for me at that time. Um, I took a leap of faith. And so I resigned from my job. I packed up my apartment in Toronto. I moved into my parents' living room for the time being. I was going to have to lean on their support for a while. And they were great about it, but it felt like just a huge step backward in my life. And so, but I began the journey. And, and uh, you know, it, it ended up costing me in certain ways uh, even more than I thought it would, actually. And I mention this next part only, only because it really felt like God did not hold up his side of the bargain. Like he was absent. And some of you, maybe you've been there and and you can relate to this next part. But it was just the beginning of a very difficult, very, very confusing season. And I'll spare you all the details. But after committing to do this thing, um, you know, it just, in that first year, everything just kind of went sideways. So honestly, it felt like almost everything that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong in the process as I was trying to get this thing started. Um, like roadblocks that popped up I never could have saw coming. Uh, growing financial problems that looked impossible for the ministry itself and its viability. Also personally, just a weird convergence of stuff. Um, some of it involved some key 
relationships that were stressed. Uh, you see, I was the first guy to try out this brand new um, missionary to Canada appointment that the PAOC was rolling out. So the stakes were high, and, and but not everyone supported it or saw the need for it, which unknowingly uh, got me off kind of on the wrong foot with some people and leaders I looked up to. It was just kind of a messy thing. And, and other challenges that arose that were way beyond my control. Um, felt like every kind of direction. But what kind of aggravated things more was, was the effect that this had on my own study um, issues and stuff that I dealt with in college. And I, thought, um, I had previously gotten some help for some anxiety issues and stuff that I dealt with in college. And I thought that I had like largely recovered from that stuff. But like that was making a real comeback too. And it was just, it was kind of dark. So suffice to say, I just was not in a good place, in a good space for, for a while. And uh, just no sweet clue what to do. And life happens, right? And stuff doesn't always work out the way we hope. And I get that. And some of you have been through far worse, darker, more confusing circumstances. I know, I know. Again, that's not what I'm driving at. But what really got me was just that question of where in the world was God? Like, like here I am after having completely reorganized my life around this crazy dream that I thought God had given me, or at least he was a part of. And I was told, I, I believed, or I thought I believed, that he was trustworthy, I was told to step out in faith, and he would take care. And instead, you know, I find myself end of my rope, facing the possibility that, like, I had made a huge mistake. At one point in particular, I decided that enough is enough. I'm done. Cut my losses. Move on. Regardless, um, church, in, in the thick of it, you know, faithfulness was a part of God's character that was very much hidden from my view. Um, and maybe you know what it's like to begin to question where in the world God is and how this is all going to work out, and how, how you're ever going to pull through this one. Now, I'm going to hit pause on that story for just a second. It has a happy ending, you see. But um, in situations like that, I, I would often find myself retreating to my Bible, right? Like trying to look for something, some word of, of comfort, like something that would kind of help me cope. And eventually I made this little discovery I'm going to share with you. So, so speaking of Moses, right, I've always found it encouraging and kind of perspective-altering to read through and think through the stories of the Israelites in the Bible because I think it makes me feel better about myself because talk about a bunch of nervous wrecks, okay? So, so in, in, in the Israelites experienced their share of stress and anxiety many times throughout their story, especially at one point in particular. Um, these people were no strangers to fear and crippling doubt, about, you know, where and if God was still with them and still leading them. Um, And to be fair, like, the Israelites lived in this absolutely barbaric surrounding culture and world, like, violent, tribal. Some of their anxiety is is warranted. Like, this is not a pretty time in human history, obviously, but still, they were still so slow to trust God. Um, So anyway, we'll we'll pick the story back up from the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, which, I'll be honest, is not my favorite book. Probably not your go-to either. I get that. It's tough reading some of it. So if it's been a while, here's just a little refresher um, of what it's about. And stay with me here for the backstory. But the whole book of Deuteronomy is comprised of a collection of speeches given by Moses, who, by the way, appears to have done some growing in his confidence since that last scene at the burning bush. You'll see why in just a second. But around the time Moses delivers these speeches to, this, to the people, they're stuck in the desert with nowhere to go. So the beginning of the book picks up um, right around the time these people have been wandering around a desert for 40 years straight. So 40 years of wandering aimlessly around a desert, the Sinai Desert, right? Um, Looks like this. Cozy, right? Cozy. And 
it has not been an easy 40 years, as you can imagine. But there's a reason why they're here. Do you remember what it is, some of you? There's a reason why they've been made to endure so many years in the desert, and it has to do with them succumbing to fear and refusing to trust God the first time he tried, he attempted to provide for them a new home. So, you see, God had promised them earlier, this was a long time ago, in fact, that he would eventually bring them into this incredible land, just overflowing with food and water and livestock, and life would be good and resources, right? So no longer would they be exiles or nomads. Like, finally, they'd have a place to call home. And so they'd have a real future, like, as a, as a family, as a culture. And so God brings them to the edge of this land, just the edge of it, and he commands them to, to take it, but they're really not so sure about this plan. Um, after all, it was already occupied by a very strong, intimidating tribe of people with a pretty wicked and brutal reputation, in fact. And to make a long story short, it, just, it gets the better of their confidence. And so, now God had already promised them victory. Like, he'd, he'd always, he had promised to take care of them. This land was theirs. They just had to move forward, charge, right? But instead, they shrink back in fear, and they start complaining and grumbling against God and refuse to go any further. They are stuck, which is kind of default mode, default kind of response from them, it seems. And once again, it all boiled down to a lack of trust in God himself. And so God deals with them by making them turn around and wander the desert until the more faithless, unbelieving generation of Israelites dies off. Okay, so that's the backstory, okay? So that's the backstory. Um, Fast forward to where we are now in Deuteronomy. So here they are again, 40 years later, more or less where they started, on the verge of entering the promised land for the second time. So God has, in his mercy, given them another shot. But like last time, the stakes are high. And so Moses has to try to prepare these people for one heck of a battle. And so it's around this time that Moses starts delivering these discourses to these people. So so what you see in Deuteronomy is a series of speeches meant among other things, to inspire courage in God's people for the road ahead. Okay, so so understand, though, this is is a critical moment in Israelite history. Critical, like the watershed. Like, if Moses can't succeed in inspiring some serious faith and courage in these people for for this upcoming battle, like, they'll have no future. It might be another 40 years before they get another shot at this. So what does he say to them? Well, his strategy to me, as I read this, Uh, is so clear. He knows exactly what to say. And maybe it's because he's no stranger to fear and anxiety himself, right? He's learned some things. So he knows how to set these people up for victory instead of caving to fear again. And it has to do with reminding them of their history. Okay, so, so Moses starts in by reminding them about the ways that God has come through for them. So he starts recounting their testimony. He starts recounting their entire, their whole history as a people, event by event. And by doing this, he is jogging their memories about how far they've come and where they've already seen God at work in their story. So, for example, so throughout the book, um, Moses reminds them of some of the incredible miracles that God has done right in front of their eyes, right? So God bringing them out of slavery and oppression to the Egyptians, parting the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry land and they could escape from the Egyptians once and for all. God feeding them in the desert, remember that? By dropping food out of the sky, the whole manna thing. And, and he goes on and on, remember, 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 Moses says. So, so much of Moses speaking in Deuteronomy can be summarized by that one word word. 
remember. This is one of the main themes of the entire book. And for just a few examples of what I'm talking about, and I, I, I do love how the NLT brings this out. Next slide. Um, remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Don't you remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh? Remember the days of long ago. Think about generations past. It goes on. It says, remember when you were but slaves to a foreign ruler. Remember when you were hungry and thirsty and God provided for you even in the wilderness. And on and on it goes. Look how far you've come. Why would God abandon you Now, Moses is reminding them of God's faithfulness in the past. And it's it's a simple strategy, but it's brilliant. Like, I can picture, I can just kind of imagine these people starting to search their memories, right, as Moses is talking. and, 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 And they start finding courage again in these old stories of what God has done. They start retelling them to each other. Maybe, maybe they start retelling them to their kids, right? The next generation. These, these hidden stories and testimonies of God's faithfulness buried, buried in years of suffering in the desert. But they start to rise to the surface again as Moses is causing them and calling them to remember. At one point, Moses says this, um, I like this part. He dares them. It sounds like a dare. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'll just read this for you. Now search all of history. Moses is talking to the people. From the time God created people on the earth until now, has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God? Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself, you Israelites, by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm, and terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. Remember. You see, the problem was, at times, they had forgotten how to remember. And that's often what caused them to shrink back in in fear and defeat. And Moses knows that, and so he commands this of God's people. I I think, church, I think we can pay attention here. I think we can take a cue from this next part, you and I both. Watch out, it says. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. Remember, remember. Why? Because, uh, like the Israelites, I think we can tend to forget. It's just kind of human nature. And we find ourselves gripped by, by fear and anxiety about the future as if God has not actually, really, already proven himself faithful enough to you in the past. You know what's kind of interesting to me? Um, those writers of the Bible who seem to, to know God most intimately, so like uh, Moses being one for sure, David um, for another example in the Psalms, right? Uh, other writers of the Old and New Testaments, Paul is another good example of this. So they're always talking about this one attribute of God, right? His faithfulness. It's, it's all over the place in Scripture. You can't really miss it. God as faithful. But you'll notice as you're reading, like, they all do this too. Like, they're always recalling past prior memories. They're always recalling their history. They're always retelling these old stories. Seriously, by the time you've read through the whole Bible, you'll have read about the same stories over and over and over. It's very repetitive reading sometimes, but like, it's for a reason. These stories must be retold. It's part of remembering. It's how they can say God is faithful and actually have something to hinge that belief on. Am I making sense this morning? And so, 
So I think we can take a cue from that too, I think. So like practically, okay, I warned you, this is going to be simple. This is about spending less time stressing out about what's ahead and more time reflecting on how God has taken care of you up to this point. And that's the whole paradigm shift I'm, I'm talking about this morning that I think, you know, Scripture holds out to us if, if we're willing to, to pay attention. And it is a bit counterintuitive, I know, you know, but it seems to be kind of human nature to be sort of paralyzed by fear of the unknown. But, but God's people are to be people who have long memories, who operate not from fear of the future, like not from what I can't possibly know, but what I do know. And what I, what I do know, church, is that up to this point, God has never actually left me. And he has been faithful. And so I operate from that. I don't operate from there. I can't possibly know. I operate from what I do know. So the thing about God's faithfulness that many of the biblical writers seem to understand, like, if you want courage for the road ahead, and who doesn't? If you want courage for the road ahead, you have to be willing to look behind you. Besides, um, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Don't we always say that? Hindsight is twenty twenty, And, like, so especially for, for those of you here this morning that have been following Jesus for a much longer time than I have, right? Like, I'm sure that many of us in this room have, have stories, you know, testimonies of certain victories, you know, struggles we overcame, addictions we kicked, uh, you know, like doors that opened in front of us, prayers that were answered, like whatever, whatever God stories you might have. And, you know, like I, I'm just telling you mine this morning, but the truth is we could pass the microphone around this morning and, and spend some time letting some of these testimonies come to the surface. And you know what would happen? I, I bet that we'd probably all walk out of here pretty darn inspired and encouraged. Because that's just how it works. That's the power of testimony. It's the power of remembering, recalling, retelling what God has done. And we need that so that these stories don't escape from our minds, right? Because when we hit struggle, we can just be so quick to forget what God has already done. But if we can manage to make that shift, um, like the Israelites, I think we'll find perspective and courage and strength to move forward confidently and boldly into the future, whatever it has. Uh, and just maybe we'll find the same kind of incredible confidence that Moses has to say this as he challenges this, these people at the end of Deuteronomy. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Never is the word. Never. And, you know, I think that's as true of God 3,000 years ago as it is uh, today. And, and looking back over the course of my life and my story, um, that just becomes obvious to me too. Uh, so, in fact, to wrap this up and to, to finish that little story I told you about, so in the thick of that rather difficult um, situation I described, I made a decision. So um, I resolved to begin a, a, a new little spiritual discipline that I hadn't really practiced before. And so... Um, here's what it was. So someone mentioned to me uh, about this journal that they kept, right? And so, and I hadn't done much journaling in the past, uh, you know, but I decided to give this a shot, nothing else to lose. And so I actually began writing down, like writing out longhand, recalling the ways that I had seen God provide for me and guide my life in the past, and including everything that I was thankful for, which turned out to be a pretty long list. Um, 
some of you might recall uh, a story about another Bible character by the name of Samuel, right, who, who at one point sets up this altar. It's, a, it's called a stone of remembrance, actually called an, called an Ebenezer. And it was so that God's people could look at this thing. It was, a, it was a physical reminder that would jog their memories about, again, where God, what God had done for them in the past and how he had been at work in their story already, which sounded good to me. So I decided to build this huge stone altar on my parents' front yard. And so, just kidding, I, uh, I couldn't get the permit, and so, and my mom wasn't a big fan, so I, I began to write down, I began to call to memory, like, everything, this was a daily discipline for me for a while, like, everything I was thankful for, everything that I felt like God had blessed me with, and in fact, the Bible, by the way, has a ton to say about gratitude and thankfulness and, and the importance of that in a believer's life. Actually, experts know, too, that, like, cultivating a mindset of thankfulness can have quite the effect on a person's psyche. Gratitude can change your whole state of mind. True. It's, it's always nice when experts catch up to the Bible's wisdom on things, isn't it? It's nice. And so it helped me too, this, this practice. And so partly through that, that whole exercise, um, I, I began to realize that I actually have some amazing stories I had forgotten, like amazing ways that God had proven himself trustworthy in the past. And I discovered that, you know, I had no real reason like to believe or even feel like God was somehow less present or less faithful to me now than he had been up to that point. My fear was irrational. It was groundless. It usually is. And slowly um, through that process and over the next few weeks, month, um, and also as I began to shut down and capture thoughts and thought processes that were not helpful, another biblical idea, by the way, my perspective began to shift a bit, and slowly I began finding some courage to move forward. And then things started to change. So fast forward a bunch. Um, I had this 20-minute conversation with a guy in Starbucks who had heard about this whole idea to plant something at Humber, and he wrote, he wrote us a $10,000 check to help us get started and passes it to the table to me. And, which it, and don't get me wrong, that doesn't happen as often as I wished it did, really. But most productive... 20-minute coffee of my life, and so, but suddenly, you know, we could pay for sound equipment, and over the next few months, like, slowly, the resources started to come in, and people were generous, and I, I started to realize this, this crazy, ridiculous idea might just work, and so, and then we launched on campus, and, and the rest is history, and what a ride, what a ride, ups and downs, like, including more challenges, you know, I, I didn't see coming, and yet more opportunities to learn where my help really does come from. And you know, I don't, I don't regret the hard stuff. I don't, I don't regret the harder parts of the journey. I don't, because, church, it's how I can stand up here and tell you from my own experience that God really is faithful. And, and what blows my mind about him and what blows my mind about God is just his patience for me. And maybe you can relate to this, but uh, like I am just like the Israelites. Like in the past, I've been so slow sometimes to trust God to provide for my needs. I, I, see, I see myself in their story, including when God comes through for them and provides them while they are wallowing in despair and complaining and grumbling against him. He's, he comes through. Even when I've been so faithless, God has been so faithful and I'm just so glad for that. And I'm, I'm glad that even when I wanted to throw in the towel, I didn't. I could have missed out on so much. And so one more time, right? I, I, think, this is, I think this is such timely advice for us living in, in such a stressed out society, right? Watch out. 
Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. You must not forget how to remember. Now, in conclusion here, um, just a, a final quick but important little qualifier I, I need to make just to balance this conversation, and then and we're done. Um, so I want to remind you that as you walk through kind of the harder situations of life, that from a biblical perspective, like in your own walk with God, the Bible seems to suggest that struggle is very much par for the course, really. Um, like nowhere in Scripture are people who follow God guaranteed an easy life, right? Like, in fact, if you or someone you know has fallen for the all-too-popular myth that uh, Christian people should lead more comfortable lives than most, um, and this is often a theology uh, spread around, I find, by unusually wealthy televangelists and unusually wealthy suits and usually expensive suits, um, my advice to you, and forget the sarcasm for just a second, but my advice to you, if you want to hold on to that myth, is to completely avoid certain books of the Bible. Just avoid them. So, like, for example, don't read Job. Don't read Ecclesiastes. Many of the Psalms, and for crying out loud, do not read what happens to Paul after he decides to follow Jesus. Yikes, right? So, or, 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 you can opt for, I think, a more biblical version of Christianity, which tells us that suffering has a place and sometimes even has a purpose in your walk with God. And I think that's true, because here's what I've noticed about myself, and maybe, maybe you'd agree with me this morning. I tend to learn and grow way less when I'm comfortable. Really, when I'm content. Um, seasons in my life that are easy and smooth don't tend to shape my character. Um, they don't tend to grow my trust in God or in my relationship with him, not as much. I mean, that stuff seems to come most readily through struggle. And that makes sense, right? Because especially if, if the whole point of, of life on planet Earth is to come to, to know and to trust our creator, which is what I believe we're here for, I believe that to be the meaning of life, um, well, God knows that sometimes what I've needed most in pursuit of that goal is not to be spared the next challenge uh, and the next, the next hardship coming down the pike, but to be a little bit less comfortable perhaps because of the effect that has on my walk with him. Look, it's, it's not the, the mountaintops that plunge me into a deeper kind of faith. Folks, it's the valleys. That's what does it. So I don't expect God um, to spare me, and I don't expect God to spare you from every hardship. He doesn't promise that. But, but he does promise you and I one thing, and, and this is big, and I'll leave you with this this morning, that he will be with you, that his presence will go with you, that his presence will be near you, as you go through these things, as you walk through these things, that's enough. I, I mentioned the Psalms last slide. So even though David spent a lot of time complaining and lamenting about his situation, it's true. He also knew his God as being close to the brokenhearted, he writes. So if that's you this morning, brokenhearted, apparently that's not a bad place to be. And be encouraged this morning. God is closer to you than you probably think. And if you choose to lean into him, not away from him, but if you lean into him because he's all you need, I think that you'll find that he hasn't actually left you for a moment. So let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. And just as we move to pray here, the service ends and the whole week begins over again. Um, 
So I wanted to leave you with something from Isaiah chapter 4, um, just while you've got your eyes closed, if that's okay. Just consider these words this morning, all right? This is Isaiah chapter 4. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain? Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord? My my cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And he gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak, and even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. Father, we celebrate this morning your faithfulness to us. This is one story of hundreds in the room. Um, I'm sure that if I had an opportunity to sit down with any one of my friends here, they would recount a story of some of them from, from when they did not know you to knowing you now and the difference that's made in their life. I've sat down with people here before who have mentioned addictions that they've kicked and, and lifestyles that were draining and terrible and how they found freedom in you. Um, I've, there's other stories in the room that I don't know. So today, as your people, as the people of God, we resign ourselves to remembering what you've done for us in the past so that whatever we're facing this week, this year, this month, whatever, that we would go at these challenges, Lord, knowing that you have been faithful to us up to this point and you have promised never to abandon us. Help us to remember and help us to trust you um, and, and your promises. Um, and thank you for these people. We're going to head out in just a minute and go to our jobs, our workplaces, our schools, wherever we find ourselves. We really want to do, we really want to be bright lights for you wherever we are. And so may your faithfulness and goodness and love and compassion show through our hands and feet and our mouths and everything else this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.